We're going to read God's word again this time from uh, the New Testament and from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Last week we we began looking at um, uh, the uh, the events of the day of Pentecost from Acts uh, 2. And uh, this morning we're going to continue uh, listening to the end of uh, Peter's words uh, from this uh, great sermon. We're going to pick things up in verse 22, where we left off last week. I will read uh, verse 21 uh, first, and then we'll pick things up at uh, verse uh, 22. Let's read uh, God's uh, word. Peter says, It will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I should not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life you have made, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all, uh, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut uh, to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exalt them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, 
And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So read uh, that part of God's uh, word that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. If you've got a Bible with you on your phone or um, uh, a paper copy, do have the, that passage open in front of you. Let us uh, pray as we come to these uh, words, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, as uh, Peter called for repentance and that uh, public proclamation of faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost. So, Lord, now we pray that as we uh, hear this witness to Jesus of Nazareth, oh, Lord, we pray that our hearts uh, would uh, be touched uh, so that we uh, repent of sin and turn to Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would work through your word uh, to bring us uh, to increase confidence in Christ our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation for all. That is our message to the world, isn't it, as Christians? Uh, that is why the doors are open in churches. That is why Christ Church Romford is here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are millions this morning, aren't there? There are millions upon millions this morning who, if they stay as they are, are going to a lost eternity. The graphs, the graphs that show not the circumstantial causes of death, whether it's cancer or a car crash or COVID, uh, but uh, the graphs that show those people, young and old, men, women, children, who are daily entering an eternity of suffering in hell due to that underlying cause of being dead in their sin and rebellion to God, those are the graphs, although we can't see them, no scientists can put them up on a PowerPoint. Friends, those are the graphs that are truly fearful. Not that we're unconcerned for uh, people's physical well-being at all. And yet that is the startling reality that we live in. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our message is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about trying to keep people alive for a few more years or, or trying to change the odds of someone dying of, of, of one cause rather than another. First and foremost, we are here to warn people that there is an eternity of suffering to flee from and that great news that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Last Sunday morning, we began looking at these events on the day of Pentecost. Uh, remember uh, the phenomena, the sound as of rushing wind, the divided uh, tongues as of fire, uh, people uh, spilling out onto the streets of Jerusalem, declaring the works of uh, God in languages uh, that were foreign to them, uh, a multitude, uh, the, the crowds gathered from every nation under heaven. What did that mean? Well, the, the Apostle Peter said, remember, it meant, it signified that a new day had dawned. 
A day in which God's spirit would be poured out uh, so that God's people, all of God's people, might know him through his word. Glorious news of salvation for all by calling upon the name of the Lord. But who is this Lord who is to be called upon? Who is the Lord? That's how Peter continues as he witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ as this, his sermon continues. If we want to know the salvation that Peter uh, speaks of, if we want to know, uh, see others coming to know this salvation, then our hope must be in the saviour that Peter speaks of uh, and not in some other hope, uh, not in some other Lord, not in some other saviour that we've made up. Before he ascended into heaven, uh, the Lord Jesus told his uh, apostles, you will be my witnesses. And now Peter, in Acts chapter 2, he is witnessing to Jesus. Having declared that uh, this new day that God promised has dawned, he testifies, verse 22, to Jesus of Nazareth as the one that God has made both Lord and Christ. Because Jesus has been made ruler of the universe, it is to him that we must call out if we would be saved. In effect, this morning, Peter, as it were, says, let me introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one on whom you must call, the one to whom you must witness if you would be saved uh, from eternal death. Verse 22, where we began, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Uh, Peter says to us this morning, it matters that Jesus of Nazareth uh, lived in history. The Christianity is, is based upon not just a set of ideas or feelings, but on historical facts. Christianity is founded, isn't it, upon uh, the events concerning the man, Jesus of Nazareth, and the mighty works, the miracles that God did through him. A living, breathing, real man, but no ordinary man. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He unblocked the ears of the deaf. He enabled the lame to walk uh, so that all who saw were amazed and wondered in awe. How did he do those mighty works? What did they signify? Peter says it was God who was working through his servant. God attesting, God approving this man as his man. Sent from God to minister for God, to carry out God's purposes. Jesus wasn't just a walking NHS. He was a man approved, attested to by God. Is that the Jesus, the historical Jesus in his life and ministry uh, that we have called out to? Peter then goes on to mention his death. This Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Every Jew knew what had happened to Jesus of Nazareth. How Jesus had been delivered over by his close friend Judas to the Jewish leaders, betrayed to be crucified. Crucified. 
But here, as Peter preaches this Pentecost sermon, he declares that Jesus' death, it wasn't a tragic injustice by the scheming hands of men, but rather that his death happened according to God's eternal definite plan and foreknowledge. How could one so approved of God, God's man, whom God worked through, how could he end up despised, rejected on a Roman cross? Was it a tragedy? Was it some kind of accident? No, he dies as part of God's plan and purpose. It was God who delivered him to death. And yet God is no, by no means the, the author of the evil in that act. God's eternal definite plan, it, it doesn't make those who plotted and schemed against and, and crucified Jesus, doesn't make them any less guilty or culpable for their evil actions. And notice Peter allots guilt here to uh, the, the whole Jewish nation. These crowds we read last week who had been gathered in Jerusalem, they come from every nation under heaven. That's what we're told. They are not Jerusalem dwellers. They're not the, uh, the leaders in Jerusalem. And yet Peter says, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. Peter wants uh, those who were before him to feel their guilt, to see their need to act, their need of repentance. As a nation, they had rejected uh, the king that God had promised to them. As a world, we have rejected our rightful king. Evil intent towards our God. Uh, and yet these evil actions of sinful men, they were the means God used to bring about God, even to the saving of many, many people. But in this sermon, it is not uh, Jesus' death that Peter focuses on. In a sense, uh, Peter only refers and mentions the crucifixion, essential though it is, in order that he can speak of the resurrection. Verse 24, this Jesus, God raised him up, loosening uh, the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Just as God worked through this Jesus by uh, mighty works and miracles in his life and ministry, so God did not leave Jesus in the grave, but raised him up. It was impossible, says Peter, for Jesus to be held by death by the pangs or the sorrows of death. Peter's not just talking about physical death there. The pangs of death. Pangs is the word that is used for birth pains. Some of the ladies have recently experienced those pains. Peter's speaking here of the, of the agony of death as the just punishment for sin. It was not possible for death to hold Jesus. Though sinless himself, approved, attested to uh, from God himself, the Lord Jesus bore sin. He wrestled with death. As the author of life, he gained victory over death. Peter says it was morally impossible. It would have been unjust of God not to raise Jesus from death. Death is the wage of sin. Jesus dealt with death. There is nothing left to pay. 
God must raise him from the dead. And Peter quotes from Psalm 16 here. It's a psalm of King David. He quotes from Psalm 16 to assure these Jews whom he's just accused of being guilty of, culpable in the death of Jesus. Peter quotes here that God's delivering of his anointed one, his true king from death, that had always been part of the plan. In Psalm 16, that David had said, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. King David, in the Old Testament, he wrote that psalm to reflect his confidence that God wouldn't abandon him, but would keep him even in death. There was, within the Old Testament, uh, uh, some kind of resurrection hope. But David, in this psalm, Psalm 16, he speaks of more than that here. Not only that he would be delivered from the corruption of death, but that he, he wouldn't experience corruption in death, that his body wouldn't start to decompose. That's why Peter says in verse 29, uh, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, uh, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And you've got to realize just how polite Peter is being there. The Jews re revered King David. David was the man after God's own heart, remember. And so as politely as he can put it, Peter says, we know King David's dead and buried. We know his body's decomposing uh, somewhere just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. David didn't speak of himself. He spoke as a prophet. Uh, David didn't speak uh, of himself. He spoke of one of his descendants. David and the Old Testament prophets with him, they speak of a king who will be enthroned by God, who will reign uh, over all things forever and ever. David himself is dead and buried. Uh, David's confidence was not in himself. Uh, Israel's confidence should not have been in David. David's confidence was in, it was in another. He foresaw, says Peter, and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. The Old Testament prophetic predictions of the events uh, of the life of the Lord Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, and uh, the events that these apostles had seen in the life of Jesus, uh, they came together, what the Old Testament had said and what the New Testament had said converged. These apostles, they'd seen, they'd heard, they, they touched the crucified, now risen Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, attested to you by God with mighty works, crucified by the hands of wicked men, according to the definite plan of God, kept from corruption to be raised to new life by God. This Jesus, says Peter, this is the Jesus who has now been exalted to the heavenly realm to rule as God's king at God's right hand forever. This is the Jesus who is now ruling as king, the man Christ Jesus, so filled and empowered by God's spirit that as the Lord of all, the king of kings, he pours out his spirit upon his people. Remember back in verse 12, we looked at it last week, the multitude gathered from all of the nations under heaven. They ask as they see and hear these men and women speaking in foreign tongues, what does this mean? This is what it means, says Peter. Jesus, 
This Jesus that God has raised from the dead and exalted to reign in the heavens as King of Kings, as Lord of all. It's not King David who is ruling from heaven. Oh, King David's soul might be in the presence of God, but his body lies rotting in a grave. Jesus is the king that David spoke of. He's the king that he spoke of, uh, that David spoke of in, in Psalm 10 when he says, the Lord, that is the Lord uh, God said to, to my Lord, to David's Lord, to the Lord Jesus, you sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. King David hoped in the one God would establish as his all-conquering forever king. God's enthroned this man, Jesus of Nazareth, to pour out his spirit upon his church and through the spirit of God to slay his enemies with gospel power and gospel words. For Christ to pour out his spirit on his church, Christ must be risen. He, he must be the living Christ. He must have all authority to have God's spirit at his command. God's spirit has been at work, hasn't it, in the world from creation. God's spirit has been at work in his people throughout the Old Testament. And yet it, it, there can be no, no spiritual life without God's spirit at work. And yet it is not until the spirit-filled, anointed king that he is enthroned to reign with all authority. It's not until Jesus is installed as king of all that the spirit can be poured out in such lavish abundance. The spirit is the inheritance Jesus has won for his people in his death, in his resurrection. That's what the sound of the, uh, the, the, the uh, as of rushing wind, that's what the flames of tongues of fire, that's what the, the foreign languages, that's what they all mean. It's there in verse 36. Peter says, therefore, let all house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The king the world rejected. The servant of God, the crowds despised, the Messiah, the Jews crucified. God has made him Lord of all. This is the Lord Jesus. These are the events. This is the gospel that we may, must believe in ourselves and witness to, proclaim to others so that we and others might be saved. We are not free, are we, to believe in a Jesus of our own imagination. Uh, we're, not believe, we're not free to believe in a Jesus uh, whom these historically witnessed to events, well, they may be true, they may not be true. He may have uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. He may have turned water into wine, or he may not have. We're not free to, 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 uh, to, to believe in a Jesus like that. I'm not free to focus on my own experience what Jesus means to me, uh, the way I like to think of Jesus. You know, sadly, so many today, they want a religion that, that focuses solely on themselves or, or on us. Let me tell you, one of the saddest things as a pastor is, is to speak to somebody and say, can you, can you share the gospel with me? And they don't share the gospel, they share their testimony. Lots about their experience Oh, but also little about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, I can tell you that this happened to me and then this happened and then this wonderful thing happened and I, I, I felt so much of God's presence. All my subjective experience, my testimony. Now, let me be clear that my testimony, God's work, that I can testify to God's work in my life, that is important. But that is not the gospel. That is not the main witness to Jesus. These two witnesses, the Old Testament prophets, the the New Testament apostles, these events on the day of Pentecost, they mean that the Jesus the world rejected and crucified is the Jesus that God has exalted as Lord and King. They mean that this is the Jesus that you and I must contend with whatever we think, whatever our experience is. But clearly, we too, we must respond. We must respond, we should respond to the news that Jesus is Lord and Christ at God's appointment. And we're to respond as the crowds do here. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Uh, There's fruit here from Peter's words. There is Holy Spirit given fruit. Uh, These men, these women who are gathered, they're convicted of their sin. They recognize in Peter's witness to the Lord Jesus, they recognize the truth. They grasp that if, if Jesus really is God's Lord and Christ, that has implications for them. You see, recognized, recognizing that we've treated the one who's been installed as ruler of all. We've treated him with hatred, with contempt. Oh, that should cut us to the very heart. We, 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 we weren't among those who were involved in plotting Jesus' death, were we? We weren't there. But neither were many of those whom Peter preaches to here. But we are all part of this world who are living in rebellion against God's true king. And so Peter says to them, and he says to us this this morning, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit repent do an about turn in your views of who Jesus is so that you begin to live a life in submission to him the one on in whom you've rejected so far repent and put your faith your trust in him repentance and faith they always go together don't they true repentance always leads necessarily to faith In the Lord Jesus Christ, the enthroned king. A saving faith in the king uh, Jesus, it only ever comes as we repent of living apart from him, against him. Repent, says Peter. Turn from your ways to Christ and be baptised. This acknowledgement of having wrongly treated the true king and our acceptance of the true king. It's something, as we bow the knee to King Jesus, that must be public. Baptism, it's a public sign. It is an acknowledgement that salvation is found by only by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, the enthroned Lord of Lords, that it is to him we belong, that it is to him that we're accountable. 
Repentance and faith must be public. You can't repent of living against the true king. You cannot turn to him and it not be seen publicly. These Jews, these religious Jews, very religious Jews, they had up until uh, their time of repentance, they'd ignored the living God because they'd ignored his king in their words, their thoughts, their actions. They were conformed to a, a Jewish way of worship, a, a Jewish way of life. And Peter calls for them to, 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 to now repent of uh, keeping out God's true king and be baptized so that in their thinking, in their desires, in their words, in their actions, they would be transformed by the lordship of the ruling, exalted King Jesus. And wonderfully, in turning to the, the one that God has enthroned as Lord of heaven and earth, Peter says we receive from King Jesus two glorious, two precious gifts for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus alone is the king who offers these gifts. Forgiveness of our sin Forgiveness of our rejection of God and re, um, uh, rejecting his rule. The God that we've offended against. He stands ready to forgive the vilest offender, the most zealous rebel, having already suffered the punishment that we deserve in taking our sin upon himself at the cross. Those who repent and are baptized, they receive forgiveness. But also the, the enthroned Lord Jesus, he also grants fruitfulness to all who turn in repentance to him. The spirit Jesus pours out on the day of Pentecost on these 120 disciples, they're not some spiritual elite. The Holy Spirit is for all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. For the promise, says Peter, the promise of forgiveness and fruitfulness is for you and for your children and for all who are far, are far off, Jew and Gentile, all whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Holy Spirit of God brings fruitfulness, doesn't he? His fruitfulness, his fruit rather, is faith. Your heart, my heart, we're not able to trust in King Jesus. We're unable to follow Jesus without the work of the life-giving spirit at work in our hearts. And having given life, the spirit works godliness. Those fruits of the spirit we read earlier, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The spirit works that fruit in the heart of those who repent, who believe. Freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom to live fruitful lives as God's children, forgiveness and fruitfulness. That is what the salvation of the Lord Jesus looks like here and now. They are gifts that the ruling Lord Jesus pours out, not by imposing forgiveness and fruitfulness on those who are unwilling to receive it, but he joyfully pours out these gifts that he's won at great cost to himself on all who turn from their sin, turn from living for other things and bow their hearts and lives, their minds, their bodies privately 
publicly before him as Lord. And Peter does stress, doesn't he, the, this public aspect of repentance. Uh, repentance, it must go all the way down into our minds and our hearts, into our attitudes. It is deeply personal repentance. And yet that doesn't mean that it's not public. Repent and be baptized. You cannot baptize yourself. Baptism happens within the context of the church. It is a public thing. With many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The salvation that Jesus offers transfers us from, from death to life, from darkness to light. It transfers us from one community, this world, uh, this crooked generation, Peter refers to it as, to the community of those who own the Lord Jesus Christ as king. Repentance for these Jews, just think, these Jews gathered on the day of Pentecost. It brought them freely these gifts given by the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sin, fruitfulness from the Spirit. And yet it also cost them, didn't it? They needed to change. They needed to change their ways. The repentance would have meant changing their community. Just think as these Jews returned to the regions and the, the nations that they come from. And they'd return no longer to the synagogue and the hubbub of, of Jewish life. But they'd need to search out or maybe even start with some other new followers of the Lord Jesus. Uh, their nearest fledgling church. Commitment to the king. It means commitment to his people. It is public. It is visible. What do these events of Pentecost mean? They mean that the man that the world has rejected and crucified and despised has been enthroned as Lord of all. What should we do? Whoever you are here this morning or, or, or in on the internet, in the light of this reality, you must repent and uh, believe. Turn to Jesus as your Lord and King. Make his people your people. Uh, let me say, if, you've, if you're here this morning and you're in church, but you've not yet called out to the name of the Lord Jesus for your salvation, then whoever you are this morning, whether you're old or whether you're young, you can do that this morning. You can know these gifts, these free gifts that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. Forgiveness of all of your sin, a, a clean slate, a, a, a clean conscience. God's Spirit at work in you to produce godly fruit. Friend, you may be here this morning and you, you may well survive COVID. Uh, yours may well be a, a long, comfortable, happy, contented life. You may have good health. You might have financial security. You may well be uh, the most popular person you know. But if you've not turned from living for this life for this world, for your God, for yourself. If you've not turned from those things to turn to hope in Christ alone, all will be lost. Know for certain that God has made him 
uh, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified, whom you, you rejected, whom you ignored. He is the king. He's the king that you and I will one day have to stand before, who one day we will be accountable to. He will ask us to give an account of our lives and what will we say on that day. But friends, in closing, if we've publicly repented of our sin, if we've been baptised in the name of Jesus, then we must go on daily repenting and believing in him. We must ensure that this Jesus that we've put our hope in is the Jesus that Peter spoke of on the day of Pentecost, not some cheap imitation of our own imagination. But let me also say, this is the only Jesus that we have to hold out to others, isn't it? There is only one Jesus that we can witness to. We dare not hold out a lesser Jesus to people who currently stand condemned with the world in the hope that, well, you know what, maybe for a lesser Jesus who demands less, or maybe people will be attracted to him, maybe they will put their hope in him. We dare not think our friends, neighbours, our family, who say they trust in Jesus, and yet it is a, a, a Jesus different from the Jesus that Peter declares here on the day of Pentecost. We dare not think our loved ones, in whom there is no sign of this public repentance that Peter exhorts us to. Oh, friends, we dare not think that they will be fine without this kind of repentance and faith in this Lord Jesus Christ. Dare not think those things, not if, not if we truly love those people. Not if we know for certain that God has made this Lord Jesus both Lord and Christ. Oh, not if we truly are convinced this morning that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved.